welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Keddy McKenna of Keddy Vani. So welcome to the show, Keddy. Thank you. Happy to be here. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, well, I uh, am Katie, uh, and I am a fashion designer, and I'm a founder and a designer for the brand called Katie Vani. This was established in um, 2017 in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so prior to that, I was uh, well. I was born in country Georgia, and immigrated to United States um, in 1991. So more than 30 years ago. Um, my original career in Georgia was a geophysicist, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but I always loved fashion. Uh, there was no fashion design that time in communist country uh, because we didn't have many fabric choices or the trims, so it was all gray. And <laughs> um, so I uh, used to, oh, since I was uh, 14 years old, uh, my grandmother taught me how to sew. And I used to make my own clothing. Um, so first I used to use like a Buddha magazine to get the patterns. We could sort this Buddha mm-hmm. German magazine. And uh, um, I, I love fashion. My mom loved fashion. My mom always used to buy clothing from uh, black market <laughs> <laughs> because you couldn't find a really good clothing at department stores. And uh, sometimes if uh, some dancers or the actors would travel overseas uh, to Europe uh, or the United States, they would bring clothing for retail. And that's how we would um, purchase clothing. Uh, It's crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why I learned how to so and uh, because it was always the deficit I couldn't find what I was uh, what I wanted to wear and I was actually best dressed at my university where I uh, studying oh, geophysics at the time <laughs> uh, so but as soon as we arrived to United States I my first ambitious and dream was to become a fashion designer because I had big passion for fashion mm-hmm. and when I went to first first like the next day after I got out to the um, you know airport I went to the fabric store and I was just like so excited to see all this variety of fabrics and trees and had so many great ideas mm-hmm. so it's a long story do you want me to keep going <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I always love hearing what people's background is because it's it's often not like not like the traditional. Oh, I went to school for fashion. I became a design. Wanted to be a designer and became a designer. Like it's so interesting, like how people arrive at their careers in fashion. Um, 
And it sounds like sewing and fashion was like a big part of your interest and that you were very fashionable um, growing up. You just didn't, weren't able to initially pursue it as a career. Yep. Uh, well, and also, so when I first arrived to United States, we lived in Queens. Um, and my son and the next husband, uh, we just like new immigrants had to make the ends meet. So I was thinking, what can I do with, you know, nobody needs my geophysics. <laughs> mm. And my English was not so great. So I just walked in the neighborhood uh, in Queens and I saw this lady sewing at the dry cleaner outside from the window. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was such a funny story because me, I will never forget. Uh, it was some, uh, you know, it's, uh, Italian uh, guy sell was a, he was the owner of the store and I walk in there with my son who was wearing the pink jacket that used to be mine and I upcycled <laughs> to uh, you know have him uh, to so that he have a nice jacket pink mm-hmm. jacket pants that I made for him and the sweater that I needed for him so I used to make everything for my son. I was also good at the knitting and the crochet. And he was wearing this beautiful knitted uh, wool a sweater with his name on the sweater. And he was five years old. And I walk in there and I say, I made this. Like, my English was not so great. So mm-hmm. practically, my son was my portfolio. And <laughs> <laughs> He realized that I can actually sew, and I said I would like to do some sewing here. I, mean, I had no idea what it entails, what was I supposed to do, you know. Mm-hmm. I never have uh, seen the dry cleaner before, you know. And, and so I, uh, and he hired me on the spot. So I was oh, like wow. so excited. It was like a big break for me. I can actually, you know, pay part of the rent you know it was mm-hmm. so exciting and uh from the dry cleaner I was just built a very nice clientele and I was very very uh good at the alteration and the sewing because I'm a you know I'm a very artistic person I can draw I can create and I'm also very technical, like having a yeah. five-year master's degree in geophysics. I'm kind of a smart person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And uh, those two qualities, um, you know, when you are very crafty and good with your hands and you are very, you know, have a good analytical skill and can figure out stuff, um, I was very good at this. And he was very happy with my performance. And but oh, then we we wanted to move to a better neighborhood, and there was a better neighborhood with better schools. Forest Hills, if you know Queen mm-hmm. Forest Hills, is a very nice neighborhood, and there was a very good elementary school for my son. And when we moved to the neighborhood, you know, for me this sewing job was so easy to find you know like everybody needs a, somebody that can solve right mm-hmm. yeah and I walked into the other dry cleaner <laughs> competition and that person ordered uh, offered uh, m- much more money uh, so I 
switch the job. And I remember how I was like so sad moving to the new job because that first person, he was so kind to me. And I was so excited to have a job so close to home. Mm-hmm. So when I uh, moved to Forest Hill, that was a very busy street with lots of stores and boutiques. And many boutique owners would come to the uh, dry cleaners to, you know, like sometimes customers, they would find a stain or they needed alteration. Mm-hmm. And I made a good contact with this uh, a boutique owner. It was Acid Collection was the name of the boutique. And I told her that, you know what, I can design clothes. Would you like be interested to sell my clothes in your store? And she told me, okay, show it to me. So I went to a garment center. I bought some fabrics. I designed some clothing. And I showed it to her, and she liked it. And uh, I started actually designing and producing uh, for the store. I quit my job at Dry Cleaner. Yes. And I was was actually a little manufacturer that those days i didn't realize that i was actually a serious business of yeah. uh, designing and manufacturing <laughs> but i didn't consider myself that way because i have no i had no idea how to run the business mm. how to um produce on the more sophisticated level uh so i would uh, i found a lady who had uh, i would make the pattern really struggling with making a pattern because I didn't know a lot about pattern making uh, and uh, you know I would buy something at the store and take apart <laughs> to figure out how it was constructed and made you know everything's trying to figure out I'm also like mathemat- mathematicians are very good at problem solving so mm-hmm. I was kind of constantly solving problems and figuring out things on my own. And then I decided, you know what? I don't have to struggle. I can go and uh, uh, look for the school where I can learn how to make patterns. Because I thought that time that, you know, if you have a fashion brand and you want to have a fashion brand business, you have to know everything. That was my perception. Mm-hmm coming from Europe, you know, like mm-hmm. Eastern Europe or any European country those days was like, I thought the designer had to know everything. The designer had to make patterns, have to, you know, do the manufacturing and everything. So when I went to FIT to see what was most suitable for me to one day have my own business, I thought uh, my weakness was the pattern making. So I thought I know how to sketch, I know how to create, I have great ideas, I just don't know how to execute and I'm gonna learn how to execute. That's why I went at night uh, taking pattern making classes. And um, I I would still be working during the day. I had my five-year-old son and my ex-husband had on and off jobs. You know how difficult it can be. Mm-hmm. And I went at night to FIT and I took all the classes. I took some additional fashion design classes, the fabric science classes. And then in 
uh, I actually was also able to transfer my um, liberal uh, arts classes from my country so that I don't have to take some other classes, like some credits. Oh, nice. They actually mm -hmm. transferred. And I graduated from powder making in 1995. Forgive me if I uh, make any mistakes. <laughs> so I graduated, and at that time when I graduated, I was still producing and designing for this also one single store, and I couldn't keep up with the work. It was mm -hmm. so much work. You know, mm -hmm. you have to understand, I'm like, I'm older, a lot older than you are. <laughs> so in 90s, the fashion business was booming. Mm -hmm. There was no internet. People couldn't shop on uh, the uh, online. People loved going to the malls and the stores and shopping, mm -hmm. you know? And I was shocked sometimes, the things that I was making with my little, you know, very lousy uh, sewing and the powder making skills were selling over $150. I, you know, I was just like, I have some pictures of my old designs and me wearing them. And now it looks a little like silly, of course from 30 years ago, but they were still selling and uh, I couldn't believe it. And uh, I also had some private clients that wanted to do some dresses or some paints or something. So, so I was right there on my floor, on my apartment, cutting and sewing day and night, you know, and my son would uh, always say something like he would write an essay how he hears the mom's sewing machine in his head uh, day and night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty loud because that sewing machine had a different motor those days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, clutch motor or something. It was very loud. I, I actually still have that same sewing machine I bought 30 years ago for $200. Oh, wow. It was uh, it was the it was the vintage sewing machine from uh, a singer from ninety like hundred years old. You know, I can oh, wow. I, I post pictures on my Instagram of that sewing machine uh, because I have sentimental attachment to that machine because that machine brought uh, you know food on the table. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I so, have I know how that. Uh, I, I know how that goes. I have both of my grandmother's sewing machines and yeah. they still work. And they're not industrial ones, but like one of them's mint green because it's from, I think, 70, 1971. And um, the other one's from the 50s from when my grandma got married. And it, they're they're good machines. They're still. Yeah, you know what? Actually, since you mentioned this, I just keep thinking, I hope my granddaughter gets to keep this machine when I'm gone because it's mm -hmm. so special to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I was moving to Colorado, the movers broke the machine and oh, the no. moving company offered to replace and buy something brand new. And I said, no, I repaired it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so sticking back to the fashion, um, uh, you know, FIT, you know, I felt honestly, and I'm not, um, you know, I can say it in public, I was not very impressed with the education at FIT at that time, hmm. because I was going through my night, like, trying to, you know, keep leaving my son with 
you know, hear neighbor or somebody or so hard. And uh, I was, and coming from the education in Eastern Europe, I was very kind of uh, not very impressed with that education. Uh, but most of the things that I know in my life, I learn on my own. You know, there's lots of things that I learned on, at FIT. I can't just completely, you know, disregard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, um, I would say half and half. Uh, half of things that I learned figuring out things on my own and then from work. You know, because yeah. when I graduated, I still didn't feel I knew a lot. And uh, when I graduated, First job I took was like, I'm going to work as a powder maker because that's when I can learn really uh, mm-hmm. to how to make clothing. And I always had a dream, always had my ambitions to have my own business somehow. I always, no matter I how. Mean, it sounds like you kind of already was, did at that point. I, of course, I, that's why I did it, you know, yeah. because, you know, it, was, it's, it took me a long time. Uh, but I have, uh, you know, I'll explain why. Because, you know, life happens when we make different plans, right? Mm-hmm. So I uh, always wanted to have my business. And I always tell my students and my friends that because of that, I became really good at what I'm doing. Because mm-hmm. I always thinking, oh, I'm going to learn it one day. I'm going to be a big fashion brand. And uh, when you have that ambitious, you try to learn as much as possible at work. Uh, mm-hmm. It's people that work just for money to make a, you know, they they make um, cut corners just to, you know, get by the week. I was just working so hard. I was always doing more than required from me and longer hours so that I would get in the depth of it and I would learn everything to make me better at what I do. I have so many stories to tell when I, one time I seriously painted a job because I, Mm -hmm. it was so late, I couldn't figure out how to do the chest measurement with the armhole measurement that was technical designer was giving me and I was just Keep on trying. You know, there's like it's a trial error, and that's how you learn. You know. Yeah, and then sometimes the measurements you're given are incorrect. <laughs> like you realize there's exactly. no way this is gonna work. <laughs> Thank you. So when yeah. I was working, you are a powder maker. You understand. Yeah. So yeah. when I was working as a powder maker, and some technical designer gives you some specifications to follow. Right, that if mm-hmm. that technical designer doesn't know how to make patterns, sometimes their specifications doesn't make sense, and yeah. the pattern maker is struggling. And I was young; I was not very confident in my skills. Just to tell them, "Hey, you don't make sense," you know. Yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? And uh, all this, and uh, uh, you just learn this way. Uh, yeah. And when, uh, yeah, and that taught me so much that I don't have any regret of uh, all my jobs that I had because at every job I learned a lot and I made a very good living. 
And uh, I always, because I was so good at my work and so dedicated, that I was always offered better and better opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't quit because when you live in New York City and uh, life is very expensive in New York and you have a child, first priority is your family, right? Mm -hmm. And providing well for your children. And uh, when uh, the job offers you benefits, offers you health insurance and um, vacations that you can spend with your um, uh, family, that was more important to me. Mm-hmm. Especially, I felt that when, for example, when the financial crisis happened and all the small companies went out of business, um, I was so thankful to have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I never lost my job. I always had better, better opportunities. I felt very well appreciated and very well compensated and appreciated. Mm-hmm. And the one time, uh, for example, when I moved from the, when I was offered technical design from the powder making, I felt that was very big advancement mm-hmm. because the powder makers in those days <laughs> you work stand on your table just another table stand on your feet all day with a big mm-hmm. scissors in your hand and cutting the paper and it was a very labor consuming job mm-hmm. uh, I did learn computer powder making at uh, college uh, that time they were teaching but not many com- companies had computer patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, I even worked at Tahari, we didn't have a computer pattern making. I, wow. you know, uh, so, uh, and they, um, especially um, design brands actually in New York believed that all those old Italian pattern makers um, would create a beautiful patterns and those patterns wouldn't be able to achieve with computer pattern making because like by hand, you can just create a lot better curves and shapes than by the computer. That was the belief. I don't believe it, honestly. But that's what the designers thought of of computer pattern making in those days. Yeah, and I'm sure the computer, the programs have improved so much since then too. And but I get that a lot too of like oh our hand you know paper patterns or computer patterns better and I agree with you where it's like my thought is it depends on the pattern maker like if the pattern maker learned you know how to make patterns with paper and pencil and they're highly skilled in that then their patterns are going to be great but if you know somebody is highly Absolutely. skilled pattern maker and knows how to make patterns digitally their patterns will be really great too it really depends on how good the pattern maker is the the program is just absolutely (laughs) let me tell you you absolutely agree so those italian old pattern makers old school people they didn't want to learn didn't want to transition to the uh, computer pattern making because you have to do lots of training Mm -hmm. for that purpose right and the young people who didn't have many experience that new computer powder making were not quite good powder makers. Yep. They were very good at the computers, 
but they're not good craftsmen. And the pattern making is the most underappreciated, undervalued skill, if you ask me, because without a good pattern maker, without a good pattern design, have no, you can't design. You know, you have to, any designer who doesn't know how to make patterns have to find a good pattern maker to uh, somebody that can execute the idea and the sketch, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. the good pattern makers are very hard to find. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, especially uh, past 15, 20 years, when the fashion industry in New York decided that they will save money by just technical design and having patterns made in overseas, mm -hmm. that's when the things went down the drain. And that's why the clothing doesn't fit in the stores. And there's lots of ill-fitting clothing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what are the, that's so, a different conversation. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm curious though. Yeah. So like with your experience in, and I can tell by looking at your pieces too, like you are a highly skilled pattern maker and, and our like, the construction is amazing. So I'm curious, like what are some of the things that like the common fit issues that you see as a result of kind of the poor pattern making or poor construction that a lot of clothing is made with now? Okay, so before I decided in 2019, I thought, oh, you know what, I am so good at the suits, I'm so good at the jackets, and I love, love constructing clothing because mm -hmm. I've been, you know, improving my skills for 30 years in the well-constructed clothing, and I'm like most complicated and challenging things, you know, and I mm -hmm. feel like the jacket is most challenging and most complicated to yeah. fit right and construct right. Jacket have 35 pattern pieces and mm -hmm. it needs so much uh, details and detailing, right? The mm -hmm. suits cost $2,500 to $4,000, mm -hmm. right? The well-constructed or well-made suit. Uh, so, uh, I thought, you know what, that, that I am so good at this and not, so many, not many people in the United States know what I know. So I will make, I will uh, design and produce suits that will compete with any other brand in the United States and will be less expensive uh, for the quality and the construction. So I went to the Neiman Marcus. And I tried, I don't want to say in public all these big brand names and uh, put them down or, you know, mm -hmm. because my, my, the way I look at things are a little different from the other people look at things. Could be like beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. I also believe in that. Mm -hmm. So in my professional opinion, I was just so disappointed at all the big brand jackets in Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom. So like I have a shopping mall, right? Two blocks away from my house. I can go there anytime. And mm -hmm. I am a fit model measurement because mm -hmm. if, if you know my story, I also worked as a fit model and yeah, I tried so. to maintain my fit modeling measurements for 30 years. I haven't changed. I mean, of course, I'm a lot older by exercise and I try to be the same 
shape and size, and I feel all my clothes on myself and being uh, proven, being very uh, well-fitting clothes. So yeah, that's I go nice to and have your, try all this. To be able to use yourself as a fit moderate, like really handy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? So I went and tried, and I even have a pictures of all these ill-fitted jackets. I didn't want to post it and didn't want to be negative. I'm I'm a very positive person in my social mm. media and everything's all about happy. But <laughs> I saw some really disturbing fitting clothes. And honestly, only a Ralph Lauren purple label jacket that I found that was $2,500 was something that I would wear. And I would, I, I said that, it is really great. And Ralph Lauren Purple Label, I, I know the pattern maker there is like 80 years old. I, at least I knew that time, you know, mm -hmm. that he's still standing there on his feet and with the large scissors and making patterns on the hard pit. Mm -hmm. So that was the only jacket I felt like. And then I said to myself, you know, you know, honestly, there's not much to design in the jacket that has not been done before, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you are a fashion designer and you want to create the suit, the design is, in my mind, for suits, is choice of the fabric, right? The color, mm -hmm. uh, construction, and the fit. So yeah. those four things uh making the fine clothing <laughs> uh full of fine suits especially so mm -hmm. that's why my brand is called fashion with fit and function so that because mm -hmm. i have such a strength in the fitting and construction and tailoring um, my goal is to create the clothing that would be like a wardrobe piece that would keep forever you know, because I have, I am still wearing the suits that I worked on when I worked at Incline, which mm -hmm. was like 25 years ago. I worked at Incline. Incline that those days was more like a high end, you know, Ken mm -hmm. Kaufman and Isaac Franco were the designers. You know, the brands change, brand um, people change. Brand means nothing to me. Brand is all about who made the clothes, who worked on the clothes, who's working mm -hmm. there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, I just don't, don't, um, I just don't understand people just chasing brands and they're going to buy something because it's that brand name. So those days when I was sitting kind Ken Kaufman and Isaac Franco tried to bring a very, like, keep it uh, original and kind and keep it high-end. The fabrics we had was fantastic, very high-quality bouquets and the cashmere and this. So I was in charge of private development. We were doing the fashion shows and uh, creating these beautiful clothes and after each when showroom would open, I would find a big bouquet of flowers from the designers appreciating my work deeply. Mm. And it was just really great times, you know. And yeah. I have the pieces from those days that I'm going to have rest of my life. 
Mm-hmm. And they don't go bad, like lining sometimes when it has a little polyester changes the color inside. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those quality of the fabrics that was using were amazing and I'm going to still have it. And that's what I want to create, something that people will keep forever in their closets. Like I keep my clothes in my closet for 30 years, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, um, that answered your question, right? Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and I love that the fit and function with the fashion is um, something that like I'm always super interested in, and I totally agree with you um, about the quality fabrics and the fit are really what makes it a nice piece that you're going to keep around. It's going to last. Yes, uh, you, I got the phone call from Terry Garbarini. Uh, who is I love so much because she was the first person that trusted me and accepted my clothes into her store without any, you know, me going to the trade show or mm-hmm. uh, having Kim Kardashian wear my clothes or, <laughs> you know, big advertisement. She looked at my clothes and, oh, you know what you're doing, you know? And she took my clothes to her store right next to her big brand name. And she, mm-hmm. when she called me, she told me, Katie, you are my top 10 vendors in my store. Oh, it's wow. a very large store. And uh, I have given a corner with my suits. My, and uh, I have my suit on the mannequin and the T-Rex and under my brand. That makes me so happy. That makes me feel like my dream come true from 30 yeah years that's amazing congrats thank you thank you so I'm curious like with all your experience in you know tailoring and making these quality pieces um what are maybe some things that you think distinguishes good tailoring and quality clothing from poor quality pieces like if somebody is out shopping for a suit what should they look for for a quality piece Okay, so if you are asking me about the construction, probably the tailoring. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I I feel like you know when the seams are puckering, right? You know what the puckering mm-hmm. is, right? Like a mm-hmm. ripply puckering. When there is a bumpy seam impression on uh, um, the jacket, like I do my jackets, it's called step cutting, where you don't see the seams through, like. Perfect skin. What makes the perfect skin? Less bump and smooth surface, right? Mm-hmm. The same with the design and the clothing. It's smooth and without bumps and without the puckering. There's a mm-hmm. way, like when I look at the jacket in the picture, and I can see with, through my like million miles away how the color is sandwiched into the lapel. And which way seams are folded? I can see that, and it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. I actually did a post, one of the posts on my Instagram page. I didn't mention the brand, but the price on that jacket was twenty five hundred dollars, and it was constructed like H and M level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because it's a big brand name, you know, maybe people don't notice, or I was just really shocked. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a, 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 and people don't actually notice all these things, but they just look at 
overall and there's something they like about it but they don't exactly know what they like about it yeah <laughs> or maybe it's like they've looked, they've looked I can or seen so many yeah they can see i was just i was i'm just over six hundred dollars you see the jacket is a very poor quality and construction with all the things that uh, i mentioned and uh, you know what it is also i worked in the fashion industry for 23 years in new york and i know that doesn't mean that designers don't see this doesn't mean that designers are stupid or they don't have a qualification or they don't have a good eye there are lots of great designers and very talented designers I worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, fashion industry in New York is a very fast pace. So yeah. there's a deadline that you have to meet and you have to move on. So I would have a deadline that this style has to approve such and such date. So I would mm-hmm. get my, you know, um, sample. And the, the and I go to the for example I'll go to my uh, production manager and say oh my god this factory did a terrible job they didn't follow my comments this is puckering this is I cannot approve this and production manager will be like you know what we gotta let it go we will lose the order the buyer's gonna cancel it and uh, we mm-hmm. will lose the money we just gotta let it go. And we would let go things that we did not like. And there was a lot of a lot of stress. The, the designers are blaming somebody else. That, that's like people pointing fingers, a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And that's why in my own business, I don't care. You know, if it doesn't look good, I'll cancel. I had this suit that actually was going to be delivered last December. Spring and I kept, I saw my suit from four different factories. I was looking to find somebody that can make just like I, I can make anything. I can make Dior level or any big brand, name it. You know, my suit was at the Denver Museum next to the Dior, right? And Balenciaga. I, saw that, and that, yeah. I can make the same level. But if I don't have a factory that can duplicate it, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna, why should I bother to produce and spend my own money to produce and deliver something that I don't like? I can mm-hmm. make money some other ways. I can teach, I have so much to offer. I'm not gonna have any brand if I can't deliver exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. So I had to see from four different factories and I kept asking Terry, if Terry ordered the suit mm-hmm. and I kept postponing and postponing and I was just like saying, oh, she's going to cancel it now. She's going to cancel it because I had to postpone three times. And she, fine, Katie, bring whenever you can. That's why I love this lady, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I delivered and then I get the phone call. Katie, people love your suits. And my jacket is $645 and it's selling, you know. And um, I shipped to some new stores and she texted, I posted on my Instagram, I got the text saying, your suit is gorgeous. You know, this is mm. like music to my ear. I worked so hard to get what I wanted. But if I worked for the company, that's like, you know, I would have lost my job <laughs> because mm-hmm. I spent, spent so much time 
in so much effort, when I produce something, I record step-by-step instructions of how to make every single step. So it's a huge effort to mm-hmm. get quality that I want. But I can do it because I do it. This is my, you know, uh, uh, passion and mm-hmm. uh, labor of love and something that I wanted for 30 years. And I have, my son is already graduated from uh, Columbia, master's degree, licensed architect, oh, wow. super successful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband very supportive. So I can do what I always wanted. Mm-hmm. And no matter what it costs and no matter what it takes. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like though, I mean, you, you built... You, you have the support system around you, it sounds like, but you've also spent all these years kind of soaking up the knowledge and practicing your craft to get to the point where you are today to be able to do these really exactly. highly technical, beautifully yeah, exactly. made pieces. But there's a lot of challenge. Like I tell you, there's a lot of challenges to create something beautiful uh, and to keep your business small, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I want to keep my business small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Like why, why do you want to keep your business small and what are some of those challenges and um, you know, what part of the process are you still, it sounds like you're doing the patterns and the instructions, but then you have a factory make them. Yeah. So the reason I want to keep my business small because uh, you know, we moved to Colorado not to build a uh, global fashion brand, right? Mm-hmm. I had a very uh, good job. Uh, I lived on Upper West Side. I worked in Chelsea. I had a very nice life in Manhattan. And um, uh, me and my husband decided to just move to Colorado to change pace and enjoy life and uh, travel and uh, go, you know, we are both very active. We like skiing, hiking, biking, and to play tennis. If you see me dancing and doing a TikTok and still, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I am, uh, I, you know, I worked very, very hard past 30 since I arrived to the United States. And I feel like I want a life balance, you know, mm. and uh, I don't, uh, you know, we like I told you, my son is independent and successful, lives in San Francisco, and he tells me, Mom, do whatever you want it, don't work so hard. And my husband's been very supportive, he's uh, retired early, he always wanted to retire early. He were he was a, um, a successful executive in the finance business worked in one place for 30 years and mm. you know we you know I want to uh, have time for my family I have a grandchild I have a second grandchild coming so I really uh, want and and with my personality I'm like a, a perfectionist I, I I have to keep my business small because I like to make my patterns I like to make my samples Mm-hmm. I love working at home. I, you know, you should come visit me. I have a very nice, a uh, lot, very nice space. I have a uh, with lots of light. My sewing and design room, and I have the second room dedicated to 
the uh, photography and uh, like a showroom and I don't want to work outside of the home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to have employees. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a one assistant that comes to me that I love very much and she does sewing and does, you know, helping me with lots of uh, different aspects and um, works as like freelance and I go to Denver Design Incubator once a week and I cut my small production there and I just like my life and I don't see this uh you know, if I am, I have an order of 300, 300 pieces. Mm-hmm. Like when the clothing came to me, because I produced 35 to 50 per style. That's all I can do. Mm-hmm. So Terry just ordered 36, one jacket. That's a lot for just one store. Yeah. Because, you know, but I have to personally each one my quality is very important to me mm-hmm. and uh, I received 28 jackets and the shoulder pad was sewn wrong I can't oh, no. I can't I had to repair myself all 28 because I couldn't by the time I have to train someone with this craftsmanship and by the time I had to you know pay more than minimum wage it would have being like you know it wouldn't be profitable or would be wasting a lot of time so mm-hmm. there's I, there's lots of different aspects that goes into manufacturing that people don't know that takes lots of time and also if i'm working from i of course i can have a storage but i am uh, I, I then i'm going to be spending all my time in the storage, checking my inventory. <laughs> I in my take pleasure in creating something perfect and in creating it when I create something perfect, I have to check and I have to, um, you know, in the only way I can do this uh, by keeping it uh, small. Uh, so, you know, I also like teaching, as you know, I teach at Denver Design Incubator, I get to meet people this yeah. way, I don't feel like too isolated, working in my office all day long, <laughs> and I have plenty of people that want to learn what I get to teach, and I get yeah, to what meet are, so what many do you teach? nice people, so what I do you teach, teach the, you know, like, uh, Denver Design Incubator, I created this uh, uh incentive certificate program of the basic pattern making or technical design so anybody that can take this program 10 weeks to 12 weeks um that person can if they know but they must know sewing Mm. that person can work as an assistant to technical designer or assistant to pattern maker like a beginner Mm -hmm. level and this uh, this program also very helpful for people that want to get in fashion business and uh, they need to understand inside ins and out of this business in mm-hmm. many cases i had people that oh i want to start a fashion brand and once i teach they'll be like oh it seems too complicated <laughs> <laughs> You know, the pattern making is a science plus art, and you need it definitely is. 
qualifications and talent to do it. You can do anything without the talent. Even if you have a fashion brand, you have to be familiar how things are made. You know, people mm-hmm. look at the things like fashion brand and look at all these uh, fashion models and the fashion shows and they don't understand what's behind all that work. You know, it's all illusion. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. And I just teach the something that you do every day as a, a fashion a professional, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I love those programs, and I have uh, I met so many interesting people. Some of the people actually have a fashion business, like Everyday Sabbatical is one of my mentors to her, Mini Kill for years. She has a fashion business. Brianna is doing, uh, it's called Lake Linear. She, she, I mentored her for years. She's got a very good fashion business, you know, some niche, something mm-hmm. that's like you have to find a little niche. You have to be consistent to that. And, you know, some people like I had another a person that I loved very much. And in few years, she realized, you know what? It is very stressful. You know, I want to make sure I use this um, uh, sustainable fabrics, organic fabrics. I want to make sure the factories um, don't have uh, this labor. It's like those lots of values, and that was costly, very costly. And mm-hmm. manufacturing in the United States is very costly and hard to... So there's a lot of challenges, and sometimes people realize that's not for them, and they pursue some other career. So that's what I teach, and uh, I want to continue teaching, and I want to continue. But I want to, um, uh, in order for me to keep my business small, I always tell uh, that what I need is I need to uh, have order of 50 items per style because challenges the uh, factories don't want to work with me unless I give them 50 per style. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the the developing is very, the factory have to train people, they have to spread the fabric, they have to have some profit because it it is difficult to, you know, get the line going for just 20 items you know you Mm -hmm. have to somebody have to write the order of operation they have to in order for them to make some profit they have to have 50 per style especially my level because a lot of training is involved so i have the factory that you know accepted my first order of 20 35 per style, and they tell me, Katie, you are very picky. I will Mm -hmm. not work with you unless you give us 50 per style. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a very challenge. It's challenging, you know. Mm -hmm. So if I have a store like Garbarini, three, three stores like Garbarini, then I will be more, more, I will be profitable and I will have factories that would want work with me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Would continue. There will be less challenging. And I can handle when the 
50 items show up in my studio, then I can bring somebody, pay the person, and we can inspect together and get in and out of the house. That's mm -hmm. the challenge I have in my business, and that's my goal, to get order of 50 per style. And my clothes are more selling at the store than online because when people go to store and try on and feel it, that's when they appreciate. Online selling is either have to be very cheap or have to have a big fashion a brand recognition. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, like yeah. something that because, stands out. You know, out. some people, I do have some sale online and I'm like dying to know how did they find me? How <laughs> did they you know, ordered $250 pants because mm -hmm. I would not order any $250 pants from a known brand. You know, would mm -hmm. you? No, right? So no, yeah, I'd want to, try, I would either want a recommendation like somebody else exactly. who had tried them or I'd want to go in. And it sounds like this is what, you know, a lot of people have found with their pieces that seeing the quality in person and trying it on and feeling the fit and seeing how it looks on them is really what sells them on like this is totally worth the investment exactly exactly or you know uh, unfortunately fashion business is like uh you know uh, brands pay some uh, uh famous model to wear their clothes and that mm -hmm. uh people look at that famous model they want to look like them and they buy but the people don't realize that they actually pay uh that price that the manufacturer paid to that model do you know what i mean because mm -hmm. that's all included in this high cost of the garment Mm -hmm. You know, because this manufacturer pays tremendous amount of money for the marketing. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, but in order for me to keep my business small, I can't do that. So um, it's all had to be word of mouth or trying at the store or, you know, that's, that, that's the only way. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that you've done some, so you, I, you mentioned this earlier too that you had um one of your pieces and kind of about your work displayed at the denver art museum and then i know you also do some fashion shows too is that right of course yeah oh well i was uh, you know i was uh, so during pandemics i stopped my suit design and manufacturing business because nobody needed suits or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, nothing except for the, the joggers, you know, how that was, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so, and I, I produced the face masks and uh, at first I was giving away face masks and then Terry said, why don't we sell it at the stores? And then I started producing like everybody else. And then I had some private order of like 25,000 face masks and oh, that wow. kept my business going. Um, and uh, so, uh, and I was very sad that, you know, uh, suits that I love so much and I know so well and nobody needs it anymore. And it's, it's like, a, uh, you know, it was like a miracle when uh, Denver Art Museum um, 
curator, uh, no, the, uh, the lady who's in charge, uh, Stephanie Van Duke, she called me and said that Mona Lucello recommended me uh, to be like a really good designer for the tailored clothing mm-hmm. in Denver. And uh, we are uh, going to have a suit exhibition at the museum. And we are looking for somebody local who can display their work at the museum next to the, you know, all the famous designers. Mm-hmm. And your name came up from different sources. Oh, that's so <laughs> and cool. Especially Mona. Yeah. And uh, I was just so flattered. I said, oh, my God. Seriously? So we had a meeting. And she said that at the Thread Studio, they want a show of like uh, people educate people how these upscale suits are made. Mm-hmm. And uh, they gave me three walls of the space to display all the details, how the suit is uh, uh, designed, constructed, and made. And they actually paid me for my time. Oh, nice. uh, so, and then I told them I would like to display one of my designs. And uh, she spoke to the curator. And because it's such a huge advertising and publicity for the unknown brand that it's, and the curator looked at my designs and she's like, these are really beautiful. We can show at the Denmark Museum. So I was very excited because right before the uh, show, I uh, went to Paris, uh, to PV Paris uh, textile show. So Mm -hmm. the textile show, trade show is huge. It's uh, fabrics all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I get to see fabrics from Dior, from Valenciaga, from uh, every, like, Dolce Cabana and every big designer clothing. Uh, I could see all these beautiful fabrics from all over the world and super high-end fabrics. And I was thinking to my mind, like, I wish I had a customer that would want me to design something in this fabric because I have a very high taste level. So I was just, anything that I like, I go touch and say, how much? And they tell me, $90, $250, (laughs) a yard, you know, Uh $400, a yard. I'm like, who buys this? Who spends that money? So another thing with the fashion design is fashion designers can't always make what they like. You, Uh You have to consider the cost and your customer, and your client, right? Yeah, definitely. So I I took the pictures of all it, and you have to get the best of what your budget allows you, right? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I took the pictures of all my dream fabrics that I really liked. (laughs) I did order some of them for myself because I have an amazing wardrobe. (laughs) I bet. And uh, I... I ordered one uh, fabric, the Dolce Cabana, and what was the other big name? Is, uh, Roberto Cavalli um, <laughs> has the same skirt that I made for $900. It's the same exact fabric. 
so I ordered the fabrics for my my and uh, we so I sold some at this at the Garbarini store. My uh, from that very expensive fabric, few pieces that I made. And so, and uh, uh, so when she came, I she said, uh, I said, can you pay for the uh, materials? They said sure. So I ordered those that amazing jacquard that I found at the PV Paris. Mm -hmm. And I made this suit. Um, it's on my website. I don't think I have a full picture of this, but you'll find it in my Instagram, one of the pictures. And I also put on YouTube. So I designed the suit and made size four for the display at the Art Museum from that um, jacquard. Honestly, mm -hmm. I actually saw one color. They sent me different color. I actually, the one I saw color I liked more, but this also beautiful. It's like a, it, the design of it that just can't be better. And mm -hmm. I used the shoulder pads from Italy that the same shoulder pad company that Bellman is using. Bellman is a big mm -hmm. brand, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that suit is are very, very high level. And I uh, documented the sewing of that suit and it was playing, uh, the video was playing, uh, they bought the TV for my exhibition and uh, it was playing on the wall while, you know. And then I did a few, I did a docent training where docents have to show and tell people. So mm -hmm. I did that, I did, presentation for my class for my customer another customer for my students and also uh ramked uh all the students and the, the dean everybody came and i did presentation for them of that so it was a very very good uh it was an amazing it was like a big break for me it was just very fortunate for me that i get to participate in this fantastic fantastic um, you know, display and having my display next to a big um, designer brand. So I was very proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. So, you know, that and, sounds amazing. I wish I could have seen it, yeah. <laughs> but it but it's, it was so yeah. cool. Yeah. So, and because of that, because I presented the jacquard, I produced two jacquard suits, like affordable jacquard, not $90 per yard jacquard, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> affordable jacquards. I have it on my website. And while I had the jacquard at the museum, people were asking, where can we buy? And then I sold a couple of those uh, affordable, which are like jacket is $475, one, another one is uh, under six, a little over 600 feet mm -hmm. is amazing and construction and the fabric is very nice. It's not silk. I can't afford silk for that price because mm -hmm. that uh, suit, I don't know if I can sell ever because I love it so much. I can't wear it, but I have it on display <laughs> in my house. They returned it by the way. And uh, I have it in my studio as a display. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I produce more affordable uh, and the quality of my jacquard that I'm offering to customers are very soft. It has a viscose polyester 
uh, it's it's a common uh, combination. And for example, Etro Etro is a very well known brand that's using the jacquards like mm-hmm. mine, and their jackets are over two thousand dollars. Yeah. And um, uh, so, and they are a little stiffer. Mine is softer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mine is better. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so this has been so fun to like hear your story. I've been following your brand for a while on Instagram and just admiring your beautiful tailoring. Um, I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one thing to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Through my clothing design? Okay, yeah, so, like what? What do you what do you want the the uh, I guess mostly making suits. So what do you want the suits that you make to like say to the world, or what what do you want them to yeah. stand for? Okay, so a garment industry creates huge pollution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of remnants to the fabrics. Like when the style is cut, there's a huge remnant. Mm-hmm. to these um, cuttings, one. The second remnant is when you buy cheap clothes, something that you don't like so much, you throw it away and uh, it doesn't disintegrate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, most of the uh, fabrics, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to save this planet and buy clothes that you want to keep for years and years and buy less and buy better so that you don't create it. No, when I cut my clothing, I keep my remnants and then I use it up for some combination, something so there's a minimum wastage. And I actually was looking for, desperately looking for some company who can take the fabrics and uh, recycle or something. And it's, we don't have that service in. Denver, there's some companies that use the fabrics and fabrics can't be recycled. You mm-hmm. can't throw the fabrics into the recycle. And every single fabric, spandex, it has a spandex, it has things that doesn't disintegrate in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So it just ends up in the landfill forever. So just buy good quality clothes and buy less and buy and take care of the clothes. Because it's so much work is involved in like a little stitching and a little sewing and people work so hard uh, in those factories that have an appreciation for people's work. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to say. Yeah, and I love that. Just the quality clothes, you'll appreciate them more and wear them more and they'll, they'll last and and be like really valued garments in your wardrobe for years. So I and that. then value people's hard work because exactly, I traveled yeah. in factories all over the world. I've been in uh, Hong Kong, t- the China, Turkey, everywhere to see how they make so little money and they work so hard, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I get something from the factory, I tell them, if I don't have a trouble, I'll give you a bonus, extra $10 per jacket. And the the person loves me. She's like, nobody treated me like this before Mm -hmm. because I know how hard these people work. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that 
fancy, you know, it's just a labor. It's a very, when, when, when you're doing a repetitive, I cannot make two things same. It is so boring. I have to make one and move on to the next one. The, uh, the manufacturing, making same clothes over and over is a very hard job and very boring and it's very labor consuming. So mm-hmm. just appreciate and keep in mind all these people that worked on your clothes and uh, appreciate and value and uh, take good care of your clothes. Because I tell my family, I will not give you my clothes unless I see you wearing very often. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I either have to sell for a lot of money or if I give you, you got to have to wear it very often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally agree with all of that. And that's I love that you're making your clothes with all that in mind. Um, this yeah, has been super fun, as I said, to get to know you a little bit better and hear more about your background and your craftsmanship that goes into your suits. Um, where can people see your jackets and find out more about Ketivani online? Yes, um, on my website, uh, www.ketivani.com, and follow me on Instagram, Ketivani Official, um, and like me on Facebook, Ketivani uh, Fashion. And Ketivani came from my original name, uh, my, my birth name. My birth name is Ketivan. I was mm. named after Queen of Georgia. And I love my name, and I just tweaked a little bit, Katie Fani, and mm-hmm. that's who I am. That's and my clothes speaks. This is like my clothes is my uh, 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 me. It's all me. My uh, heart and soul I put in my clothes, and mm-hmm. like one person business that does it all, and <laughs> just want to keep it this way. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's amazing, and and I love this story, and it, it's a beautiful name too. So, um, I will put links to all those in the show notes for this episode, so people can scroll down where they're listening and be able to click through to follow you there. And thanks again for joining me today. Okay, thank you, Austin. It was nice talking you to too. you. Thank you. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.